Welcome back to the Black Valor Podcast. It's been a while, but I am here with the promised episode on the 477th Bombardment Group. I had some uh, work and technical issues, which prevented me from getting out the podcast sooner. But as I stated before, I am committed to this podcast and I will continue. The episodes will only increase as I have more time available. But there will always be another episode. For most of the podcasts I've done, I focused on the Army heavily. I did cover a little bit of the Navy, and I stayed away from the Air Force. Many times when you talk about black military history in the Air Force, people automatically go to the Tuskegee Airmen. They have received a lot of attention, and gratefully, necessarily so. So I'm going to cover a small portion of the Tuskegee Airmen that many people don't know about. The Air Force is my first love. I'm a Air Force retiree myself with over 21 years, but I thought it would be good to stretch my wings, so to speak, and covering the other branches. So now I am going to do a series of podcasts on the Air Force, and then I will follow that up with more on the Navy and Marines. Some people have been asking about that. There's also some podcasts I want to do on the uh, blacks in World War One. So again, I've covered a little bit, but I will go into more depth on those. For this episode, as I said, I'm talking about the 477th Bombardment Group. So I'll give you a brief history of the group. If you go on the webpage, there will be some pictures and information I've found, of course, links to other sites um, that have information on the 477th. So here we go. I'll start off by saying that in uh, 1942, Roy Wilkins, who was the uh, assistant secretary of the NAACP, he was also the editor of the Crisis magazine, which was out for blacks back then. He asked the War Department if it planned on training blacks for bomber crews. This was after the Tuskegee Airmen had begun to train for fighter duties, but Obviously, at that time, bombers were the main thrust of the Air Force. They really felt that bombing would save the uh, country or win the war, and there weren't any blacks who were being trained for bomber duty. Acting Adjutant General H.B. Lewis said that the Army was actually waiting to see if the Tuskegee fighter pilots could perform in combat first. So they didn't want to invest too much because to them it was all still very much an experiment. It takes a lot more work to outfit a bomber crew than it does a fighter plane with one person. Bombers, you're going to have a pilot, a co-pilot, a bombardier, a navigator, and there's a lot more training facilities, all of those things. So as usual, the Army did not want to invest in that until they were satisfied that blacks could actually do the job. They drew up plans for a black bomber group in May of 1943, but they didn't act on those orders or those plans. So they didn't begin training maintenance people or trying to pull out individuals who were in the pilot training for the fighters or anything at that time. Eventually, pressure did get to them. Later on, in May 13th, that's when they established the 477th Bombardment Group. Again, it was on paper only. There weren't any people assigned to it. And it was going to be a medium bombardment group, which meant that they would fly medium bombers, which were the B-25 Mitchells at the time. They were actually activated and assigned to 3rd Air Force 
on 1 June 1943, but then quickly inactivated on 25 August 1943. Very troubled background just getting this bombardment group started. They were reactivated on 15 January 1944 as the 477th Composite Group under 1st Air Force at Selfridge Field, Michigan. So initially they were at McDill when they had started having some people there. This move on 15 January meant that they went to um, Selfridge Field, which is near Detroit, and they had people actually assigned there. There were some problems, which I'll talk about in a minute. Because of those problems, they were moved once more, moved to Gottmanfield, Kentucky, on May 6, 1944. Then on 1 March 1945, the 477th moved to Indiana's Freemanfield. For their last assignment, they went to Lockbourne Air Force Base, or Army Air Base, I should say. That was in Ohio, and that was on 13 March 1946. And the unit remained there until their deactivation on 1 July 1947. So with all the moves, the bombardment group had quite a few commanders. Two of the most famous commanders came near the end. The first commander was Lieutenant Colonel, excuse me, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Lurch. But their most infamous commander was Colonel Robert Selway Jr., who assumed command on 21 January 1944. This was the first and only black bombardment group or Army Air Force. Even though the group was constituted, uh, after four months, they still were never fully manned and the group actually never saw combat. The unit began combat training missions in late 1944 once they arrived at Godman Field. During that time frame, it was winter, so it wasn't the optimal period for training anyway. And they had already had the slow start with all the moves. But they did train in B-25s, but they were slated to add P-47s, which is why it was termed as a composite group. That would mean they have a fighter and a bomber component. So they would have B-25s for bombing, P-47s to do fighter attacks, close air support, those type of things. And they would be deployed to the Pacific Theater, where the B-25s played a large role. Truman Gibson, he was President Roosevelt's civilian aide at the time. He argued that the group should have remained as a standard bomber group instead of a fighter-bomber hybrid. They had already had all these strikes against them with not being manned. They also had to fight for people to fill those positions from the pilots who were being trained for the 332nd and group in the 99th Fighter Squadron as well. So it would have been much simpler just to keep them as a bombardment group focused mission and they would have gotten the people they needed to train. The typical training time for a bomber group was three to four months. And you see for this group, it took them four months before they were even really getting started to have training and to start getting people. But time just dragged on as it went on. So the 477th group was not fully manned with pilots and aircrew until early uh, early summer of 1945. This was mainly because the Army never increased the training allocations or locations for black flyers, and they insisted that the bomber group could only be led by fighter pilots who were returning from combat missions overseas. So they needed the initial cadre 
of Tuskegee Airmen who went and fought overseas to complete their tours and then come back to be in command positions. So all of the leadership at the 477th was white. They had black pilots as they came in through training. The other problem was that they had trouble finding candidates who had the required skills to train as pilots, navigators, and bombardiers. They tried lowering what the Army called the Stay 9 or their test scores for their aptitude in those fields. They still couldn't get enough people because there was just too much of a demand. By not changing the locations, in other words, forcing all the blacks to go through Tuskegee to get their pilot training, they just never could meet capacity. So they didn't have enough people with the required skills or aptitude. And then for those who had the aptitude, they were all funneled through one base instead of them spreading it out because they didn't want to run the risk of having black trainees mixed with white trainees for these jobs. And this was just indicative of the main problems that the 477th had in general. Racism played a large part of the problem with this unit. Promotions went always to the white officers and enlisted in the unit. They also had to deal with some situations within the locations they were based at. When they were in Jackson County, Indiana, they actually had sundown laws in Forcera, which things that forbade blacks from staying in the city after dark. Of course, there weren't any laws on the books, but it was an unwritten rule. And when they were in Kentucky, the people were openly antagonistic to black troops. In Indiana, it wasn't as overt, but they still had those issues. So they moved them from Godman to Freemanville because of the animosity in the area from the civilians. And there were some race riots that had broken out in Detroit in June of 1943. And they felt that it would be better to move them on to Kentucky, which would get them away from that area. The other issue was that there were separate facilities for the blacks, even though Army Regulation uh, 210-10 stated that there was to be no segregation in any Army facilities, the commander still found a way to do that. So Colonel Selway was a strict segregationist. He did not believe in the mixing of the races. He used a loophole in the regulation to set up two clubs at Freeman Field, one was for supervisory personnel, who basically were all the whites were listed as supervisory personnel. Then all the black officers were listed as trainees, which technically, yes, they were in training, but they weren't in formal training. They were a unit who was getting ready and preparing to go to war. So it wasn't the same thing as just trainees coming straight in to get their basic pilot training and that. By using that distinction, he kept blacks out of the clubs and the other things that they would use, uh, the swimming pool, places like that. Tennis courts was another one. On April 5th, 1945, Lieutenant Roger Bill Terry and Second Lieutenant Coleman Young organized the black pilots to protest the segregation of the officers club. This is what came to be known as the Freemanfield Mutiny. Lieutenant Terry and Second Lieutenant Young sent over officers one at a time to go into the officers club. As they would go in, then they would be arrested. There was a major there and some MPs, and they would arrest them. After approximately three days of officers going into the club, 
they had 103 black officers who were arrested. Three were then court-martialed shortly after that. The media got a wind of this, and it became a black eye for the Army. First Air Force, who overall command for that region, they sent over legal officers to investigate their arrests, and they found that Selway's orders were inexact and ambiguous as to its meaning or purpose. So that was their determination of his order to keep blacks away. After this, Selway demanded that black officers sign an order defining which facilities they could use and those that were off limits or sign a rights away, basically saying that we understand that we're not allowed in these. So when they refused that, he said, well, you need to sign saying you did at least read this order. 101 officers refused to sign that order and they became known as the 101 Club. The MWACP and other black newspapers publicized Selway's racist actions and it got even more attention from people around the country. Uh, Michigan Senator Arthur Vandenberg, New York Congressman Adam Clayton Powell, Indiana Congressman Louis Ludlow, and California Congresswoman Helen Gahagan contacted the Secretary of War, Henry Stimson, and they asked him to release the officers. And point of fact, they were just doing what was their right based on Army regulation, regardless of how Selway tried to shade it. So during this whole proceeding, the Army replaced Selway with Colonel Davis, Benjamin Davis. He took over as commander around the time that the three Freeman Field mutineers went to trial. And those were the ones who were considered the ringleaders. So Davis could not understand the need to put segregated facilities ahead of preparing the group for war and the constant moving of the group during its training. It just didn't make sense to him. After the trial concluded, they found that Lieutenant Marsden Thompson and Lieutenant Shirley Clinton were acquitted of any charges. Lieutenant Terry was acquitted of disobeying an order, but they convicted him of jostling an officer because they claimed that he shoved an officer out of the way to get past him to go into the club. He was fined $150, reduced in rank, and he was dishonorably discharged from the Army. So during this whole time when the 477th was stood up, they had all these issues that prevented them from actually doing the training that they were set out set to do. By the time they were fully manned and people were getting trained, the war was over. That's why people really have not heard about the 477th, because they never actually went to war. They spent all of their time battling racism at home. A couple notable things about alumni from the 477th. Roger Terry actually became a lawyer and later on was the president of the Tuskegee Airmen Foundation. Coleman Young, his cohort, became Detroit's first black mayor. So these men really went forward to do great things later on after the war. It did not stop them, even though he had or he was court-martialed for the actions at Freeman Field. They were vindicated, though. On 12 August 1995, the Army removed letters of reprimand from 14 of the airmen's records 
and they set aside the court-martial conviction for Roger Terry. They restored his rank and even gave him back his $150 that they charged him at the time of his conviction. The 477th is actually now active after a long hiatus on 1 October 2007, they redesignated the 477th Bombardment Group as the 477th Fighter Group, and it's a reserve unit that flies F-22 Raptors out of Elmendorf Air Force Base, Alaska. The legacy lives on, even though the unit did not seem to achieve much glory in war. Well, none. But the battles that they fought preceded those that would follow the civil rights movement, the civil disobedience, and nonviolence. So I hope you like that. Some of my sources for this podcast are Freedom Flyers, book by J. Todd Moy, The Employment of Negro Troops by Ulysses Lee, one of my constant go-tos for World War II, Freeman Field Mutiny, it's an article on redtails.org, Tuskegee Airmen, article on indianamilitary.org, and Tuskegee Airmen articles on history.net. Any of those sources can provide more information on the 477th, as well as just the Tuskegee Airmen experience in general. So thank you again for listening to the podcast. Please go to blackvalor.net, find this and other articles and podcasts. You can send me email at blackvalor1010 at gmail.com. You can go to our forums and post any comments about this podcast or anything that you just would like to see covered in future podcasts. And I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. So you can find us there at Black Valor. So see you soon.